All right, let's do it. Let's talk about politics. We never envisioned this program as being a political show, and a lot of times it's not. But in recent years, we've devoted more attention than we wanted to to the political realm. And, um, well, Tuesday night was quite a shocker. It now appears that what uh, Radio Parallax would have called the best case scenario is what actually unfolded across this land on Election Day. The, uh, the best possible scenario, according to optimists, was that uh, the Democrats could pick up 30-plus seats in the House and six Senate seats. And it appears they did exactly that to gain majorities in both houses of Congress. According to the talking heads on election night and in the aftermath, pundits everywhere acknowledge this means political changes in America. We might add that apparently over in the European Union, all the parliaments were saying, thank God the nightmare may finally be over. We would remind you that we shared the sentiment of The Economist magazine when it put on its cover two years ago, how could America be so stupid? Or words to that effect. Uh, We've been following this story, as you well know, and uh, our conclusion was, because America really wasn't that stupid, they cheated. And in the ramp-up to Election Day, we were quite encouraged by the fact that there was a lot of mainstream press coverage about how voting machines could not be trusted and how, you know, we needed to be on guard against possible chicanery. It finally went mainstream, and not a moment too soon. And I must confess, watching what happened in the last three national elections, 2000, 2002, and 2004, I said to everyone who would listen that if they stole this one, our democracy was finished. All of the polls across this land showed vast discontent with GOP politics and policies, both in foreign policy regarding the war in Iraq and what is happening here domestically. And it was hardly a matter of so-called liberals or Democrats being disgusted with the current administration. A lot of conservatives were taking a look at uh, the spending policies of the Bush administration and wondering what in the hell ever happened to Republican fiscal conservatism. And had they stolen this election, had we seen a Ukraine-type swing of 10 percentage points, well, I think that would have been the end of American democracy. But fortunately, it appears we may have been saved by the bell. We here at Radio Parallax uh, are somewhat disgusted by the notion that, you know, parties rule our government, that one party getting 51 senators means it can dictate policy or you know, 218 congressmen, it means it can dictate policy. That is an inane concept. And so far, from what the framers of our Constitution envisioned for our democracy, that it's just, it's mind-boggling, really. Nevertheless, that is the two-party system that we have evolved into. Although it does crack me up when I hear people talking about how the wisdom of the Founding Fathers is something we shouldn't tamper with. And I say, well... You show me in the Constitution of the United States where it talks about how the ruling party or majority party is going to control all the key committee chairmanships. <laughs> you can look real hard, and I guarantee you, you're not going to find that in the U.S. Constitution. 
But again, it is what we have evolved into. And uh, such as it is, it's a welcome relief that we do not have one party in control of the executive branch and both and both houses of Congress. Well, we should also mention as an aside, also the Supreme Court. As it stands right now, all four of those entities are controlled by the Republican Party. This will change come Inauguration Day in January. And again, not a minute too soon. It appears uh, that everyone sees that Tuesday was a repudiation of the policies of the right wing, which has seized control of the Republican Party here in the United States, and that people have had about enough of the efforts to make religious beliefs the law of the land. Case in point, voters in South Dakota, which is a very red state, rejected their anti-abortion law passed last year. Anti-abortion activists had ramrodded this bill through, a bill that would make uh, abortion illegal except in cases to save the life of the mother. Well, the voters in North South Dakota, conservative though they may be, said, you know, that is going way too far. And it appears uh, for the first time in maybe 20 tries, an effort by a state to ban gay marriage failed. This, of course, has been an issue the Christian right has been depending upon now for years. But even the public in Arizona decided they'd had enough of that and said, no, we're not going to go there. Let's talk about a few particulars on Election Day before we come back to some generalities. Here in California, Arnold Schwarzenegger absolutely thumped Phil Angelides, which, as you know, dear listener, was frankly okay by us. We're not huge fans of Governor Schwarzenegger, but his beating of, uh, of, of Phil Angelides, early returns, he was beating him two to one. This, while the entire rest of the nation is running the opposite way, shows you that, uh, you know, Angelo Sokopoulos' boy uh, was just not the right guy. The rabid Democrats in the state of California decided they couldn't run a good candidate like Steve Wesley, and so they got what they deserved. As for Governor Schwarzenegger, uh, well, he's turned into Gray Davis. He's turned into a full-time fundraising machine. That which he claimed he was coming to Sacramento to clean house about. But at the same time, by current Republican standards, Arnold Schwarzenegger is quite a liberal. He acknowledges such things as the need for stem cell research, the need to address issues of global warming. If he continues to pursue these courses, he may actually be a pretty decent governor for the next four years. At least, we can hope so. And the fact that he was born outside the United States means that no matter what, uh, what trial balloons they may try and float, they're not going to change the U.S. Constitution to allow Arnold Schwarzenegger to become President of the United States. And to that we say, thank God. This will allow the governor to concentrate on being the best governor he knows how to be. But actually, the race we thought was the most important race here in California, and maybe one of the most important races across the nation, Deborah Bowen defeated Secretary of State Bruce McPherson, and we hope will set about cleaning up the mess of these untrustworthy voting machines that McPherson tried to slip past us. Our friend Brad Friedman called it one of the most important outcomes uh, in the, all of the races in the U.S., and we agree. We did note with some sadness that uh, 
in our pre-election show, if the liberal, the conservative, and yours truly all agree that someone probably ought to win, it seems to be a death sentence. And we extend our apologies to Tom McClintock for saying that we thought he'd be a good lieutenant governor, because the next lieutenant governor in California is going to be John Garamendi. We felt pretty good about the chances of Q and R, those measures that would turn over hundreds of millions of dollars to Las Vegas billionaires to run a, uh, a sports arena here in Sacramento. Not only went down in defeat, it was beaten 4-1, to one, which shows that sometimes the, the best efforts of local politicians to sell out the populace for the benefit of local rich guys, well, sometimes fails. California rejected that, uh, that wretched proposition that would have made uh, abortions uh, more of a problem for those who need them. They did, however, also turn down the cigarette tax and the alternate energy proposals that uh, I thought would have been a pretty decent idea. And we also agreed unanimously that all those bond issues were probably a bad idea. Again, the kiss of death, radio parallax, it appears that all of them passed committing California citizens to something like $37 billion in bonds. And, of course, the interest on those bonds, which we're all going to pay. We're pleased to note in the 5th Congressional District, our candidate of choice, the Green candidate, Jeff Kravitz, made a respectable showing. Four percentage points for a, for a guy that spent, uh, well, uh, apparently just about nothing on the race. We hope we'll hear more from Mr. Kravitz in the future. And Radio Parallax would like to take credit for the defeat of Richard Pombo. And while pundits all over the state of California are hailing Pete McCloskey's appearance on Radio Parallax as perhaps being the turning point in the downfall of Mr. Pombo, we don't feel we can take credit for that. Well, at least at least not full credit. <laughs> and we do note with some sadness that, uh, that Charlie Brown, Lieutenant Colonel Charles Brown of the Air Force uh, didn't quite manage to edge out John Doolittle. And, uh, you know, if, if only his public relations man had been able to secure that interview with him, well, maybe we'd have gotten Doolittle too. Don't worry, we're going to give Ted a good talking to about that and see if we can't uh, do better in 08. But looking out from California across the rest of the nation, uh, well, there was a lot of good news. Rick Santorum, a man who was being groomed for a future presidential run, a man whom... William Bennett, yes, gambling-addicted William Bennett, acting as one of the, the wise talking heads for CNN, said, don't you worry, someone's going to draft Santorum for the presidency. Well, we, we think someone should send Mr. Bennett back to the crap tables <laughs> because Rick Santorum's political future is, uh, is not likely to rise again anytime soon. He got beaten almost 2-1 to one in Pennsylvania when he was the incumbent. This kind of reminds us of the headline we saw here on, on uh, Google News about uh, Phil Angelides saying, don't worry, he'll be back. To that we say, well, good, good. We hear there's a lot of stray dogs down there in Elk Grove, and they may need someone to you know, get a net out and catch quite a few of them. We think Phil's just the guy for the job. We spoke to Professor Bob Fetrakis uh, about his run for the governorship in Ohio not once but twice, and we're pleased to note that Kenneth Blackwell, he who delivered the state of Ohio to Bush Cheney in 2004, was crushed in his run for the governorship. Oddly enough, the same thing happened to Katherine Harris in a run for the Florida Senate, where she was beaten soundly after getting no help whatsoever from the Bush administration. After all, what's she ever done for them? And speaking of standing by those who have served you so well over the years, we noted, as you did, that Donald Rumsfeld 
was quietly given his walking papers the day after the election. It looks as though Romy is not going to break Robert McNamara's uh, record as the longest-serving Secretary of Defense. To that we say, as we've said before on this program, thank God! I mean, what would he have to have done to have gotten fired before Election Day? Accidentally detonated a nuclear bomb at Camp David? We do have to cite the email sent us by Jane regarding the appointment of Robert Gates to replace Rumsfeld. She wrote, I suppose there weren't too many more Iran-Contra figures left to choose from. The Bush administration needs to know in advance that you're willing to lie to Congress. Jane noted in an addendum, which we have to admit is even funnier, that until recently Robert Gates was the head of the National Association of Eagle Scouts. Anyway, there's so much that we could say about uh, this election, we're going to try and confine it to something like 18 minutes for this segment, because don't worry, we'll return to this topic in the weeks to come. But a lot of folks predicted that the libertarian sentiment out there in America, people who regard themselves as more or less uh, social liberals and fiscal conservatives, those who don't want to see the government trying to solve all the problems by setting up programs, who nevertheless want them to stay out of our private lives, well, they were going to be a factor, and it appears they were. For starters, the difference between John Doolittle and Charlie Brown was less than that garnered by the Libertarian candidate. Had Colonel Brown been able to capture that vote, he'd be going to Congress come January. But, you know, again, <laughs> we'll be hearing more from Charlie Brown in the future. We'll certainly be hearing a lot more from Nancy Pelosi in the future, the first Californian and the first woman to become Speaker of the House. Pelosi's promised that within the first hundred hours of the new Congress, Democrats would emphasize six priorities that include increasing the national minimum wage to $7.25. The House Democrats seem to also like the, the novel idea of screening 100% of the 7 million-plus ocean cargo containers that arrive annually in Oakland, Long Beach, and the nation's other ports. Imagine making an effort to check all of the containers that are the most likely way someone would smuggle an atomic bomb in the United States instead of spending it on a war in Iraq. Hmm. Let's see how far that crazy idea gets. Nancy Pelosi is going to get to direct which bills are going to reach the House floor, and she's going to pick who gets plum assignments. We're going to see a lot of Californians, uh, due to their seniority, running a lot of committees in Congress. It's predicted that the House Government Reform Committee under Representative Henry Waxman of Los Angeles is likely to investigate the Bush administration aggressively. Tom Lantos of San Mateo is a senior Democrat on the House International Relations Committee. It's felt that that panel is certainly become, going to become a forum for critiquing Iraq policies. Although I was rather amused by seeing the comments by Michael Doyle writing for the Bees Washington Bureau that, uh, that it's expected that um, fresh hearings are likely to be held for ethnic political disputes, such as an Armenian genocide resolution favored by San Joaquin Valley lawmakers. Now there's a topic Congress should spend some time on. The Armenian genocide by the Turks, which took place under the Ottoman Empire. That's a mighty timely topic. You know, one wag was calling the Democrats before this election the other war party. And we certainly hope that uh, 
when it's clear to politicians that the public has had enough of Iraq that they're going to step up to the plate and do something about it. Because up to this point, uh, it all seems to be, gee, we did vote to authorize the war, but I think we were misled. I hope some of you caught Dick Gephardt being asked that question on CNN on election night. Uh, uh, Congressman, uh, do you feel now that you shouldn't have voted to authorize the war in Iraq? And he's, well, uh, obviously it hasn't turned out very well. <laughs> like a politician, he hemmed and hawed and refused to admit that he was, uh, you know, an idiot. Anyway, our final observation about the election uh, might be that uh, a lot of people have noted that the Republican Party is the party of the well-to-do. But there's an awful lot of signs that Karl Rove's effort to uh, basically broaden the Republican base into the old Ku Klux Klan, anti-civil rights, uh, Southern constituency may be backfiring. Wrote Ronald Brownstein in the LA Times, the results of the election raised fundamental questions about the viability of the strategy Bush and his chief political advisor, Karl Rove, have pursued to build a lasting Republican political majority. Republicans were overwhelmed by an energized Democratic base. In many places, the results suggested that socially moderate, upscale voters were breaking cleanly for the Democrats. Said Democratic pollster Al Quinlan, the storyline really is that the Democrats are winning the middle. And considering how far the Republican Party has tried to move to the right, to that we say for the final time in this segment, thank God! And on that note, I think we'll take a break. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Radio Parallax.